I take great comfort in the knowing that if this, if the people of Earth were left to their own devices, to their own resources, that um, we'd be more than capable of running this world, you know, filling the oceans with fish and turning the deserts green and exploring space and, and creating a beautiful um, world of abundance um, without massive government. And I think I might have said to you the other day on the phone, I was talking to someone that, you know, I would predict that as this global spiritual awakening progresses that we will see within a few very short years the shrinking of government by up to 90%. A thought which horrifies the average human being. What? And I think um, that is, has to do with something you mentioned um, a little while ago or you alluded to, which is that, you know, um, we, we no longer deeply trust ourselves either personally or collectively and and this is why we've surrounded ourselves with massive government and police force and military and all this sort of stuff is because we um, we've stumbled in our dance of faith and trust in, in our own source you know and what about distraction yeah well living in distraction is like yeah I um <coughs> I've often felt that, um, you know, I've often talked about the experience of um, getting out of my car at the petrol station to fill my car up and not only is the radio going, but there's now TV screens like at the pump and advertising movies and, and yeah, I think you've touched on like a really powerful element. Um, in the mess that we find ourselves in as a human family is that like we've become insanely terrified of our own quietness of our own internal quietness and we we no longer trust that place within us and um my sensing is that the incredible suffering and um and pain that that we are in now as a species is bringing us to the core of our pain and when we're willing to sit in that quiet place just to see what happens something that we feared more than physical death itself turns out to be our salvation and when we make a commitment to evolve our consciousness and live from that place of quietness as much as possible we realize that that's all we need and that all of the issues of life whether it be physical health finances relationships they all flow from that place of quietness within us out into the world not the other way around so our our central motivating force in our life changes from being engaged with the practice of of manipulating this world of form so that if, if I can just get my financial life and my relationships and my my uh, health and in order then finally I can be at peace finally I can be happy and the whole of human history has literally been a testament to the fraudulence of that assumption because look at where we are now we're dangerously close to making this biosphere uninhabitable by anything other than Ashfeld 
we're dangerously close to you know the the release of technologies that are could wipe out the human race in an afternoon you know we're dangerously close to um <clears throat> living in a you know what could potentially be a, a a technocratic you know you've heard the conspiracy theories one world government type scenario where you know, a tiny few individuals um, are living in, in opulence whilst the rest of us fight for the scraps from the master's table. So I, I welcome all of these crises because I see them as a wonderful opportunity for us to finally, once and for all, truly and deeply learn the lessons that history has been offering us. And given the technologies that have been developed now, not a moment too soon. Indeed. Now, Marty, on that note, we're going to start the podcast. <laughs> and that was your, um, your own, uh, by way of your own introduction, I think, just then, because uh, here we are. Welcome to Face the Strange. This is a podcast where it's all about em embracing the fact that if the only constant is change, that by sharing our stories and ideas, we can see all the ways in which we're different yet all the same and that was a different kind of intro because mm. we were rolling Great. and you were rolling Great. and here we are and we went through some intense stuff mm. but as well you were leading to where you see opportunity in these crises so mm. let's go with um hey thank you for having me and it's really nice to have you in my living room after so many years so indeed great to sit with you and um i'm very glad to chat very wonderful to be here it feels good um yeah but let's let's how about a first question about what has you inspired when considering all of this like that you were just speaking of and that i think might be a fade in by the way i think that might be mm. a fade in as you're speaking mm. <laughs> we'll see but yeah what has you inspired or i want to ask you know you explain to us your, your vision and um for for a world that and the things you've just spoken about, how how can this human family become more unified or, or yeah, just, just outline more because that mm. was a certain vision, but mm. can you outline um, mm. sure. motivating and mm. inspirational kind of? Mm. So if someone were to ask me, like, what inspires you to get out of bed in the morning? What inspires you to, you know, desire to make this world a better place? I would have to say... Um, a vision that unfolded for me when I was in my early 20s and it was the realization of <clears throat> just uh, in my own personal life what had created suffering and uh, the understanding of what I needed to do personally to free myself from that suffering and as the years have gone on through work and, you know, the myriad of experiences that we, we have between our 20s and our 50s, um, I have seen more and more um, external validation that the vision that, that was presented to me of a, of a new world, um, of a, a new civilization that I'm convinced is emerging even as we speak. Over the years, <clears throat> I've seen the signs of change that tell me that the pangs of planetary birth are unmistakable. 
and that we are in a very real sense i'm i'm i feel that the human family is traveling down the birth canal and there's been great um thinkers great philosophers people like uh, Tehard de Chardin Barbara Marx Hubbard uh, Buckminster Fuller these people um have all been um pointing to the idea that um the whole of our history has been uh, time spent in the womb and that as a species we are yet to be born but we are we are in process of being born and so this is what inspires me and helps me to stay positive in times where let's face it there's a lot of bad news being broadcast um when i was in my um late 20s i I felt impelled to to go on a a media fast which ended up lasting 20 years. So for 20 years I had no television, radio or newspaper. And I just spent a lot of time sitting in nature and listening. Were you just like free frolicking like a wonderful spirit in the uh, For <laughs> some of that time I was, but um a short way into that 20 years the inevitable cascading of life's dualistic concerns were upon me and uh so I became a father I became a landowner and uh you know I I had a business I had a company that that I needed to attend to so uh I I made sure that um before I got home from a busy day of work I would just go and sit quietly in nature for a little while particularly in the summer months when it was still light when i got home and so what that taught me was that there is a form of information circulating in nature that's vastly superior to electronic stimulation and that what is required is simply to access this information is really to as i said before to simply dare to bear our own company and this is why we are being bombarded with these weapons of mass distraction whether it's our mobile phones our computers uh, the movies um sports any and all forms of shallow entertainment and popular culture it's uh, i can't help but feel it's no accident that all of these are are so freely offered to us to enjoy and i like i feel like the need for entertainment is a really valid and essential part of our wholeness as humans and so in no way would i I negate that but I I feel like we've been lost in a sea of trivia minutia um and toxic ideologies and I'm I'm advocating a return to to that which is natural um and I should also mention that a few years ago uh the whole way through that 20 year media fast i i was convinced that at a certain point i would um reembrace media um and i have so i uh Just when you'd finally come up with your perfect instagram profile to get all of the <laughs> well i'm not on social media <laughs> <laughs> i'm not on social media but i i um i listen to podcasts and i i love to be inspired by uh people who also have a have a uh more of an evolutionary vision um and a an evolutionary understanding of the times that we're living in because you know there's so many ways you could look at this 
this mess that we call you know humanity circa 2021 there's so many mm. you could you could um describe it in geopolitical terms you know the global chess game that that is unfolding before us and you could you could describe it in cultural terms you know the advent of you know cultural marxism and gender politics and identity politics mm -hmm. and the cancel culture and all that sort of stuff you could look at it from a religious perspective and say that the book of revelation is now being played out and that that there's indeed a classic battle between the forces of good and evil and and all of those are fine they're all very valid and legitimate but i at this point in my life i prefer to embrace an evolutionary perspective on the times that we're living in simply because that evolutionary perspective is an expanded one that is inclusive of the religious the social the cultural the geopolitical all of those um, elements it's inclusive of all those and it and it um it suggests that um humanity is exactly where it needs to be at this point in time for the purpose of learning really deep fundamental lessons and for the for the release of um our collective trauma you know it's easy to understand that when a child's born that it goes through a series of experiences in its life you know psychologists are, are talking about this phenomenon called cellular memory you know where um the whole um, genetic history of our ancestry is is encoded in our bodies at a cellular level mm -hmm. and so like we understand that on a personal level um yet the same holds true for our for us in terms of our collective journey um there's there's been a lot of collective trauma that we've sustained and that we've stashed away uh in the cells of our body but you know when when we ever we repress an emotional experience we don't store it in a warehouse we store it in the cells of our body and i see that a lot of um you're supposed to be felt again you know mm. or at some point yeah like mm. yeah it's underneath. just it just kind of never goes away and it's kind of rattling around uh, as we just discussed like 95% of the human mind is subconscious so it doesn't matter what we tell ourselves in our conscious mind about the nature of reality and you know my own place in that order what matters is what is um <clears throat> rattling around in that largely heretofore unexamined 95 percent of the iceberg that we haven't quite been ready to uh consider so but does open up you know concepts like in the eastern or indian i think um philosophy like concept of maya um that veil of illusion that is mm -hmm. reality would you in what you were just describing sort of it sounded like an interconnectedness of things you're talking about evolution but um if we use the natural world as a metaphor mm. can you say describe to me your um living through a vision like that like the evolution and how what kind of yeah that, that state of health or ill health that the planet might be in but that's mm. taking into account all all of these things all this life all this humanity going on it's mm. a um rattling journey uh yeah 
can you explain how the evolutionary um, idea to you and how it's coming to mm. be reborn? Can you mm. just? Yeah, sure. Um, well, anyone that's been paying attention um, will have noticed by now that life uh, moves in cycles. You know, the most obvious is day and night, um, days, weeks, months, years, minutes, seconds, <coughs> nanoseconds. Um, and we also see the seasons, you know, with the out-breathing and in-breathing of nature, you know, through mm -hmm. the summer and the winter, <coughs> the spring and the autumn. And so worlds evolve in a similar way. Um, worlds are born, you know, like in the Hindu tradition, they talk about the out-breath and in-breath of Brahma. You know, they mm -hmm. say that when Brahma breathes out, that worlds are formed and that when um, Brahma breathes in, that that um, those worlds are <coughs> um, returned unto him and become more etherealized or spiritualized. And so um, one way of describing the times we're living in would be to suggest, I'd like to offer this disclaimer before I say this, because um, I could have said this at the beginning, nothing I'm about to say is of any eternal significance. It's... It's just one fella's um, unique viewpoint. Well, remember how we had, um, by way of an introduction, you were just already talking, Henriette? I wasn't quite able there to say, hey, Marty, this is you. Here you are. Thanks for coming on the podcast. But one of these things, when I asked you to complete a little questionnaire, you said you um, did have a, well, a shameless purveyor of the divine truth, but with an uh. acute grasp of the ridiculous. Yeah. So. Might yes. he be suggesting that your acute grasp of the ridiculous is not eternal truth uh, all around in a nutshell? I, I don't see those as mutually exclusive. In <laughs> fact, I've always been attracted to the um, to the archetype of the rascal sage. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, people like um, George Gurdjieff, um, sure. who, you know, like he, in many ways, on the surface, characters like him were were not holy people you know they were um would he be one of the more emblematic of say that word esoteric or something do you think uh, jeff yeah yeah for sure and um i i feel like um uh george gurdjieff uh gave the world um some really beautiful gifts in terms of um helping us to understand um our situation and um the root cause of it um, you know, I think uh, it was Emerson who said that, you know, for every thousand who hack at the branches of evil, there is one who will strike at the root. Mm. And I, I've always been attracted to characters like George Gurdjieff because um, he not only was very paradoxical to our, um, to our images of what a holy man looks like, um, but he, he had some very deep insights into the human psyche and the importance of um, self-observation, self-acquaintance, self-awareness, self-knowledge. Um, and I've always been attracted to that. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's always been something that uh, I've been fascinated with. And uh, I think in terms of uh, the ridiculous, I think uh, a well-developed sense of humor is essential equipment. Um, considering the times we're Certainly living in, I'm, and I'm with you there. so I love silliness, <clears throat> and uh, and 
you know, it's no wonder that as a teenager I just loved Monty Python because, you know, and, and that type of humour because um, it's confounding to the, to the human intellect in many ways and yet it, it appeals to something that we've deeply suspected which is that uh, if there is a creator, uh, some kind of divine source, surely it has a wicked sense of humour. I mean, look at look at this mess. Okay, I've got I think I think a cool kind of thought question bubbling up here. Um, when you bring up Monty Python, it's just entertainment, you know. Mm. But there is something remarkable there that does seem to just cut through, um, be a genuine release for the for the one receiving mm. the entertainment. And now, so if we juxtapose that, say, with some more contemporary kind of modes or mediums of entertainment there seems to be a, a certain degree of like exploitation or just you know the whole point and laugh at as opposed to laugh with kind of idea and would you say in the sense of a humor as an art form or something like that like a monty python in its free free of the encumbrances of like a you know, felt like it was created in a way to be just sort of shared and here it is, but it's also, you know, nothing, no eternal, you know, truths to be found, so to speak. And that element of the jester in here and gone. Mm. Um, Yeah, so if we draw draw back to the now, which it's very much about, oh, this, um, because everything's captured forever in the digital realm, you know, it's Mm. a photo, it's, you know, this can always be laughed at like it's a, like it's a... um, somehow more divisive kind of humor like mm. a humor is not to be shared together and we can all <laughs> mm. and be free of our our worries through humor mm. it's more just seems divisive anyway where i was going with this question man i was um going to ask in in creation and, or in say perceiving the world in that way what are things that you do say to find sort of like a purpose in that way of you know if anything everything can be an eternal is the eternal cosmic joke but mm. what are things that you do that you mm. find purpose in and mm. great well I, I that's a great question just before i answer that though i'd love to just add a little um comment to what you've just shared about you know comedy and humor and how that's changed <clears throat> um, so much of how we relate to each other has changed over the last several decades that I've observed anyway. And um, one of the, the things that's changed is that um, humour, comedy, used to be a, a realm that was, it was kind of sacred. Um, you know, it goes back to the times where the jester was the only person in the kingdom that was allowed to open and publicly make fun of the king without getting his head or his gonads or both chopped off. And so, you know, we've always, maybe we've subconsciously protected that arena and and kept it safe and free from censorship and free from, um, <clears throat> you know, any form of um, punishment um, because we've sensed that uh, humour, comedy, the ability to look at ourselves and, and laugh at our our human foibles, you know, our follies, which, let's face it, we all have. Um, 
we're at the point now where through, you know, the scourge of political correctness and um, identity politics and, and all of these, you know... Um, you can't laugh at that. You can't laugh at any fucking thing now. You can't laugh at anything. And and everything has to be okayed by this group of, you know, rainbow Nazis. And, you know, so we're at a place now where like a lot of... For example, the university circuit in the US, it used to be a place where comedians could ply their trade and they could like really connect with the people through their craft. And, and now none of them will go to universities because so many people are just ready, willing and able to be offended at a moment's notice. And so I see that um, rather than feeling bad about this, I see that it's, a, it's right and it's good that we've become such a, a bunch of pathetic snowflakes because, you know, we always seem, it's a curious habit that humans have, we always go to extremes and then there's this classic case of overreaction when we've reached the, you know, <laughs> the extreme and then we kind of like, you know, r shudder and groggily, you know, turn around and move in another direction and... So I see that like a lot of the stuff that is so concerning now, certainly from the viewpoint of someone like myself who considers himself to be a libertarian, um, I, I'm trusting that um, there is a deep design and intelligence um, behind all of this and that intelligence is not external to us, that we've actually set up this whole mess and we've set it up because we knew that we alone, being the creators of it, would be um, the 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 best uh, beings to transcend it. So I'm I'm um, I remain undauntedly optimistic about all of the what appear to be distressing manifestations of, in our social consciousness at this time. I know they're leading us to a good place. So this enables me to have a sense of humour. Which brings me back to the question you just asked, how do I stay inspired? Um, I cleave to my vision. I, I, um, I stay really close to my vision. And, and I remind myself as often as possible um, that that vision is the reason that I'm here in a human body. And it makes it really easy for me to embody the law of service. So no matter where I am or what I'm doing, I'm, I'm serving my brothers and sisters. And it, I might just be listening to the lady in the deli. Or I might be like having a difficult conversation with my partner or yelling at one of my kids or, you know, or, or cleaning up some cat vomit or whatever. I'm in service and I... As I look back, I realize I've been in service all my life and, and it's a, it seems to be a fundamental drive in a healthy human psyche to want to look around. First of all, notice just how profoundly blessed we are, even on the material level, to be like we're li sitting in a beautiful part of the Adelaide yeah, Hills. It like, really is quite glorious. It's amazing, isn't it? So, you know, like there's so many things we can be grateful for. And this is the other answer to the question is that uh, I think I wrote in the questionnaire that, you know, I consider gratitude to be a very dynamic vibration. Mm -hmm. And um, it's so easy to look around and find something that I can be grateful for that 
Yeah, I feel like it's as simple as that. If I were to boil it really down to the meat and potatoes of life, is my prime directive at this time is to as much as possible maintain a high state of vibration and as much as possible exist in a state of joy, knowing that, you know, we're electromagnetic creatures. We emit a frequency wherever we go. It's, we can't help it. Uh, I didn't create that. I'm just reporting on it. And so what kind of frequency do I want to emit? Can we get like practical on that now then? Like, sure. So how, you know, in, in your day-to-day or just um, even just something you might throw us a tidbit of gold would be brilliant if you have some, you know, eclectic or esoteric practice that you do. But also, yeah, what's a daily ritual or um, just a practice? Yeah. Just, just how you go about living and what mm. are these moments where you can feel, I suppose, tuning in with that vibration, mm. whether it be a gratitude thing. Mm. Okay, so once again, I'm an oddball kind of character, so I don't even for a moment assume that anything that I'm about to share will even resonate with most people. But I, I um, for a long time, I've, um, I've had a spiritual practice, and that spiritual practice involves, you know, um, a constant turning within, and the best times I've found to begin that were first thing in the morning when I wake up and I'm in my bed and you know there's a there's a little passage of time where we open our eyes and then we remember that oh that's right I'm Lucas I'm mm-hmm. I'm Martin I'm I'm Eric and I don't get out of bed until I've touched that quiet place within me and when I have I offer the day up to the higher power and I ask that higher power which is my own divine center to please guide me and to please guide my thoughts and actions to be of the highest possible benefit for all concerned today as simple as that um, and then I I get out of bed and I drink a lot of water and I, um, once that water has done what it inevitably does, I get on my mini trampoline and I, I bounce up and down whilst um, surveying the glorious vista of Mylor Stringybark Forest. Um, and by the time I get off the mini trampoline, I feel wonderful. I feel yeah, like awesome. I've oxygenated my system. I've stimulated my lymphatic system. I've, I've um, reminded myself what an amazing part of the world I live in and the rest of the day whilst the dualistic details of the rest of the day will vary obviously from day to day my intention doesn't and so uh, that intention as I said begins with me coming back to myself uh, before I even get out of bed and I, I feel like for those of us that are overwhelmed with a sense of futility and are wondering what it's all about. I can't help but feel that's a wonderful way to begin the day is to is to actually intend that today, this one day of my life, be an opportunity to inspire other people, to encourage them, For sure. to help them feel at ease, to help them feel comfortable in their own skin, just just through kindness and and a and an authentic appreciation of their uniqueness as an individual. And so that 
that um, for me, that's inspiring. It inspires me and I, it's all I want to do. I do a lot of things in in terms of physical activities, but I guess the underlying current of attention is is always the same for me. And you sort of, and that can begin with your daily sort of practice, because you suppose if your vibration is attuned in such a way, then that intention you have can really always be there. Yeah, it's almost like a setting of the tone for the day before before the ego or the, the human personality has had a chance the to... The reactions that's to it. things that happen. Yeah, for sure. That's it. I can ask too, do you reckon... So is the drinking of the water and then the jumping, is this physiologically related? Well, <laughs> like, I... Or do you, would you take some time for the water to sort of... Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. There's always about half an hour before the... Yeah, because um, otherwise uh, I thought whether it was it. like, drink heaps of water and then jump straight that's after, it. whether that no. was a practice that... <laughs> no, I, I always wait. I let the water go yeah, through me. And, and in that period of time i'm attending to just housey business and Mm -hmm. you know we've all got uh, our own you know rituals that we do and they're all you know right uh, for us as individuals but that's what i do and I, i also find when i go to bed at night before i go to sleep i i turn the day over uh that i've just lived i turn that over as well and i guess I guess what has happened to me as I've gotten older and as I've continued working on myself as an individual is I've come to the realization of a of a great simplicity within me and that I've um, I've become more innocent and childlike as I've aged and I think intrinsic to that is the recognition and the confession that I'm utterly dependent on a on a power greater than myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to alienate any people listening to this because some people are atheists and everyone's got their belief systems and I've got no desire whatsoever to influence anyone's beliefs. So I, I'm just sharing my own process and what inspires me and what has kept me out of the clutches of anxiety and depression and, and a lot of the, the psychological um, uh, pitfalls that we fall into. That's very much things I hope to impart to people through having conversations like this because I personally um, that's why I want to ask questions such as practically what do you do because mm. it doesn't have to be essentially about like a greater power can be uh, characterized as a god or what have you if, or as in a religious sense mm. and I was going to ask too would you consider like that word prayer I mean is that basically a form of prayer if you're turning over um and it is the intention, the prayer. Say so which part of uh, communing to a higher power um, do you suppose it's the communion and the connection come through? Is it like you know mm. people call it prayer in many mm. other forms? Or mm. yeah, would you say so? Yeah, I was born um, into a Catholic family, and so I was introduced to the concept of prayer from a very young age and so I found that to be not very satisfying it Mm -hmm. it was almost like um, the prayer I was taught when I was a boy was like a uh, more like an appealing to some kind of Santa Claus God 
you know, that, sure. hey, God, I, I really want that new push bike. And like, if you, if I can have that new push bike, I'll be good. I promise I'll be good. And, and was this an at night type thing, like the oh, classic scenario, or is that? I think. Um, I wasn't, I didn't grow up in any kind of religious mm, household. So I'm just well, wondering. Well, it, it permeated my whole childhood because I, like, I went to a Catholic school and uh, I was an altar boy. Okay. And so I was, um, you know, I was immersed in, in a system of, I want to say this as consciously as possible so to, as to remove any kind of value judgment from, because I'm, I'm really grateful for the upbringing that I had. I was grateful to be born into a family um, that loved me, um, you know, and that in essence were just good people doing the best they could you know during those crazy times to yeah. to navigate this this mess and so i'm grateful for that but um i um i also um became very disillusioned with with prayer as a young man um because i felt like um it it was the practice of weaklings and i felt okay. that only someone that had no internal fortitude would supplicate any kind of god or deity and so um the beautiful thing about that is that life smacks us around in one way or another inevitably at some point or another you know like you know we have all these ideas when we're young and and so this is the value of suffering uh, my own experiences of suffering brought me to the place where I was compelled to call upon a higher power. And when I did that, I realized that um, not only um, could that higher power be relied upon, but it's actually the essence of who I am and that I've never prayed to anything outside of myself. I've actually really just dropped quietly into my own um, inner being and communed with spirit there um, because, you know, if you want to bring science back into it, physicists now are saying that there's no such thing as an objective reality. You know, there's no such thing as a reality outside of consciousness and that mm -hmm. this physical world is, is just this molecular dance. It's like it's not even real. So it's like we're so obsessed with, with um, this... this it's like a collective mesmerism. It's like a mass hallucination that has kept us in a perpetual state of survival rather than in a state of ecstatic, joyous co-creation. Many different um, ways, like sensational ways that we've experienced it, like stimulation and whatnot, is how we've really got on board to whether at different points in time it's physical hunger or in mm. contemporary times it's much more mental or, you know, the visual and the... Yeah, the mesmerism you're talking about, it's like there's a lot of buy-in. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of buy-in on the... Um, <laughs> it's on compelling. The, now, man, I'll do a bit of a um, tangent here, but in when you're saying things that have compelled you to look within or whatever, you did mention a story um, or an experience you had with a car accident. Mm. That, would you tell us that story now? Sure. Um, well, it was, I think it was about 15 years ago. My youngest boy was, was uh, probably about six months old. And uh, my mother had just died 
um, she was 63 years old and I was mm. grieving her loss. And I was driving out um, at a place called Humbug Scrub Conservation Park. I was on my way to a job and um, it was I was running late. It was late afternoon and I, I was on a dirt road and I came around a bend and the sun blinded me. The sun, the setting sun was in my eyes and I, I lost awareness of, the, of where I was on the road and, and I instinctively hit the brakes. And when I did that, the road had just recently been graded. So my Toyota Land Cruiser flew up an embankment. It slid off the road, flew up an embankment and then landed um, on its roof in the middle of the road, uh, squashing the whole top of the car in like a sardine can. And somehow, um, I, my body just kind of flipped on its side as all that happened. And uh, I, the first thing I remember was hearing the sound of dripping, which I thought was petrol, but it was actually turned out later to be transmission fluid um, rather than petrol. But the sound of the dripping uh, made me go into action. So what I did was I laid on my side and I kicked as hard as I could to kick the window of the, the driver's side out. And I managed to to get myself out of the driver's side. And um, that seemed to take forever. Just getting out of the car seemed to be like a a, a process mm-hmm. in itself. And Do you think this is one of these moments where like time is... Dilate, time dilation mm, is happening. Yeah, absolutely. I was mm. definitely in a state of shock because as soon as I got out of the car and looked at the car and felt my physical self, I started laughing uncontrollably. I started laughing and I had to, it took a, an act of will to, to stop myself. I felt like I, I was in shock. I was in shock. But you were, you were in that reality as far as what we were just describing as far as the phenomenological you'd been in an accident you're like oh i'm still alive i'm gonna get myself out mm. but then you also i suppose were overcome with the, yeah the, the absurdity of standing there alive i guess yes um but once again it wasn't that i was finding humor in my situation like i would ordinarily parody anything that i'd seen out in the world it was a it was a it was a physiological response of shock it wasn't a, you know, oh, I just had a car accident. I couldn't stop myself laughing and I had to actually really bring a lot of will to, to calm myself down. But as soon as I did, I was aware that my eyesight and my hearing were functioning at way above normal levels. My visual acuity was greatly enhanced and my hearing and even my sense of smell were were enhanced and and I noticed that immediately because I was surrounded by beautiful bushland and then I became aware of my mother and I, I became aware of the presence of my mother who had died three weeks ago and I sensed deeply that she she was happier than she had ever been and she said to me, tell the others I made it and I'm really happy. Just tell them. And I was uh, overcome with the joy of knowing that my mother was okay. Wow. 
And I was overcome with yet another confirmation or validation that life is eternal and that we can, we can lay down this physical garment and just as we would taking off a raincoat after a walk in the rain and it would in no sense diminish the totality of who we are as, as you know, vast and magnificent spiritual beings, eternal beings of light. So that was a really beautiful, shocking, painful experience uh, for me, but so valuable because as I, as I wrote in the questionnaire, like that night when I got home, oh, I should add the ambulance driver. It took an hour and a half for the ambulance driver to come. He was the first person to arrive on the scene, followed shortly by the tow truck driver and then my father who came to pick me up. But the ambulance driver said to me, oh, hop in, let's go. And I said, I'm not going to the hospital. I've got, I'm busy like I'm, and I'm fine. And he said, no, nah, you got to get in. And, and I said to him, are you going to have to fight me? Because I felt I was so, I was so alive. Uh, it was like I, I was burning with with life in that moment i i had obviously escaped like the first thing the ambulance driver said to me was where is the driver and i said i'm the driver there was no one else around i said i'm the driver and he said no way you should be dead mm. or at least trapped in that vehicle so when i got something i was going to say before as far as attaching to the scientifically verified reality how many different possibilities were there that basically you were dead you know how, how many different possibilities did it take for your body to be in the particular position it was oh and, you, you know, know isn't it just yeah you can't fathom well, well hindsight is a wonderful playground for the mind you know we can look back at all of our experiences and go wow if i had have gone there instead of having a coffee with my friend and and that's wonderful i love entertaining those possibilities because i i you know I, I am convinced that, you know, when it comes to even navigating a, a human life, that the human mind is out of its depth. The intellect is woefully inadequate in terms of, you know, having the operational software that's required to even run a single life. You know, it's, and this is why I feel like that night when I got home, my dad drove me home and when I got home, I walked into the house and the fire was going. It was the middle of winter. My, my wife had made a beautiful soup and my two baby boys, one was two and a half and the other one was six months old, they, they, were, they crawled all over me and I have never felt so grateful to be alive and also knowing that my mum was okay. And, you know, I've never forgotten that experience because I, some tangible shift happened in me from that moment on where I, I felt like I was not going to waste another moment of my life worrying about anything. If there's something I can address, I'll do it right now. If there's something that's looming in the future, I'm going to focus all of my attention into walking that razor's edge of now knowing that everything I need to know on a moment-by-moment -moment basis will be revealed to me from within if, I'm, if I can trust, if I can let that dubious rational thought process come to a, a place of quietness mm. long enough to, to tune in to, to what I would call, if I was a religious person, God's simple truth, which is that we're okay now. Um, 
and like I've been okay all my life no matter what worry or care was going through my mind whatever was making me anxious I was still okay in the midst of the anxiety so even from a practical viewpoint worry is not only futile it's counterproductive and I would discourage anyone from engaging in it ever again it it doesn't work it's never worked and collectively it's got us to the point where well just read a newspaper i guess and i think before it was actually before um we were recording you did talk about our oh, mentions of some practical ways in which you um stay present and mm. stuff like this um, oh would you like me to just yeah yeah go go well back i think to it's, that. it's very relevant yeah so um one of the things that i mentioned to lucas <clears throat> while we were chatting before recording was that when I was a young man, I, I met an older man who was in his mid-70s and he was an American man. And he, he was a very, very unique and remarkable being in that um, he had gone through a process that could be described as psychological death and rebirth perhaps or, you know, he'd been through the shattering of the ego shell and found rebirth in his true and eternal nature and I know these are just words but I'm sure people who have explored different religious traditions would probably say something like he was an enlightened man um, and basically what he was saying was that um, most of what plagues humans in terms of anxiety and depression and, and the, the general generally the pain of being human is mental noise and that uh, through a practice of impartial self-observation, we can begin to slow down, greatly slow down that mental noise. And, and that feeling of internal claustrophobia, where we feel like we're, we're at the mercy of our own thoughts and feelings constantly. You know, I'm sure everyone can relate to a time in their life where things weren't going well their psychic immune system, their psychological and emotional immune system was was running low, and and they there's the tendency in that space to um, allow um, you know the cyclic repetition of negative ideas and to feel overwhelmed by it and. So one of the things I learned when I was a very young man was that through being an impartial witness and the word impartial is key here because if we comment at all on what we see within us it's just another one of the false voices clamoring for our attention so um, this would be nothing new this information to the buddhists that would be listening um, the buddhists talk about mindfulness anyone that's explored uh, a veda vedanta um, from the hindu tradition they talk about the silent witness meditation uh, the Christian mystics talked about centering prayer. So essentially what it is, it's, it's a practice which is so simple and it's just this, no matter where I am or what I'm doing, I'm watching myself. But I'm watching myself without comment and I'm watching myself in a very relaxed way. And when I first began this process, a, a very intense internal struggle resulted. I was aware that the old habits of compulsive thought, rumination, 
um, self-critiquing mentally, um, you know, just just the that negative habituation that that we are seemingly programmed into from childhood. It wasn't going to give up without a fight. And so the first thing a person notices when they start observing themselves on a moment-by-moment basis is just how bad it is in there. Because we, didn't, we weren't able to see it before. We've now brought light into the darkness of that 95% of the iceberg. So it's natural that... Um, and I, I remember Vernon used to say, this was the man, Vernon Howard, his name was, in mm-hmm. case anyone's interested. Uh, he used to say, um, you know, beware of any teachings or teachers that make you comfortable. Um, when you first begin interest, um, introducing truth into, into your internal world, the immediate response is that of discomfort. Because those old habits that have kept us miserable, kept us in a perpetual state of self-doubt, they, they're like hungry children that have been fed for so long that naturally they, they, they're not going to go away just because mm-hmm. we've said to them, oh, that's, we're doing something different now. So that, that single technique has been my go-to over and over again. Um, it's the one thing that I've faithfully applied and practiced and actually stayed with uh, throughout my adult life. I've, I've loved music and I, I, I've, you know, I practice and I, I play music and I, I love that. But the, the, um, the practice of simply being with myself on a moment-by-moment basis has been something that I've never let go of. And it, I would... I, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share that with anyone that will listen because I, I feel like it could it's, it yields more um, benefits than reading a thousand spiritual books, mm. attending a thousand lectures or, or sitting at the feet of an enlightened guru because it leads us to the discovery that that light that we're seeking outside of us is the, the true self of who we are as, as a human being and and I can't think of any greater achievement or a more nobler life practice than to um, to be with oneself on a moment-by-moment basis. And it's the one thing that I never learned at school. I learned all this. I learned modern European history. I learned mm-hmm. mathematics. Mm-hmm. I learned all sorts of interesting facts. But the single most important life skill what I consider to be the single most important life skill for anyone seeking to lead a happy and functional life, it's not only ignored, it seems to be tabooed to even discuss the possibility that we are not the human mind or the human body. Mm. We are not this biological spacesuit. It's a temporary convenience for us to express through in these material realms and but that, that goes into a very deep rabbit hole, which is why, you know, so, and I don't know if well, we've got the time. In, um, uh, Western society today, as far as education, the pendulum swung maybe from religion to then, you know, now far to science. Mm-hmm. And perhaps somewhere in between is ideas you're talking about, which is basically, <laughs> well, uh, um, a presence of mind, and I don't actually mean that in the, common application of the phrase but more that yeah i guess the observing of self Mm -hmm. can maybe bring a presence to one's Mm. 
existence and mm. that you can relate and almost in a revelation type mm. way be um mm. be really present with your conduct and I mean, and without judgment of self, I guess that that's the most profound thing yeah. for me, because that's something I, cer- I certainly struggle with mm. personally, mm. Um, and I think to apply, I was gonna ask you how um, the challenge of mm. being able to mm. consistently apply that without mm. it being a forced mm. or mm. rigidity. But mm. That's a that's a challenge. In any any tips there? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I loved what you you just uh, touched on then about how we relate to ourselves, because this process of self acquaintance of self witnessing leads us to the inevitable realization that we are not who we previously imagined ourselves to be. And when that realization dawns on the horizon of a conscious human being, it is the most liberating gift that life could ever offer us because all of our problems of a personal nature, I remember we were talking about Darpan earlier. Hey, Darpan, if you ever hear this, I love you, brother. Um, Darpan, I'll, I'll get him on, don't you? Remember? Great, you, he'd, you'd be, he'd be great. Um, Darpan um, once said to me, "99 percent of problems of a personal nature are rooted in a lack of self-love." And so, this is the best news ever because when we realise that we were, we are not who we've been culturally and socially programmed to imagine ourselves to be when we realize we are not that fiction mm. that we've acquired all the trauma all the, the 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 toxic beliefs that we've adopted about ourselves when we realize that's not who we are for the first time in our life we can relax and allow the blossoming of our true and unique human individuality and that is self-love that alone is to love one, to love truth, to love the truth of our being. I don't like to use the word God because of, there's so many negative associations and so, so much blood has been spilt over that one word. So I, I avoid using it. But when we know that, that to love truth is to love ourselves, to love God is to love ourselves, we are free for the first time in our lives. We, we can love other people. We can love other humans truly from that place because other people no longer, they cease to be our need fulfillment machines. We, we become a, an instrument of love rather than a seeker of it. And all of the seeking of love, the seeking of connection that we've, we've so, so, you know, relentlessly pursued you know, has, has been provably an exercise in futility. We've never gotten any closer to love through our anxious striving. Can I ask, when you're, when you're referring to loving yourself, you were, you were meaning that without the entire narrative of your life and your, um, the things that have happened to you or, you know, that mental construct, mm. that's what you were sort mm. of meaning, yeah? Well, what, I, what I'm meaning is that self-love is not an emotional state. It's an activity in consciousness. Yeah. It's a state of consciousness where um, we know ourselves to be a projection of eternal consciousness, not as a concept, 
but as a living, breathing, organic reality that reveals itself on a moment-by-moment basis, expressing itself through this unique human life. And the the truth is, I think uh, uh, what, uh, there's an artist called Jewel, and she wrote a song, and it was called, I think that was called God's Hands, and in it she said, if I could tell the world just one thing, it would be that we're all okay. And not to worry because worry is wasteful and useless in times like these. So even from a very practical viewpoint, this this new consciousness that I'm pointing towards, I'm just the pizza delivery guy. This is happening whether I talk about it or not. I'm just being charged with with the task of articulating a happening thing mm. it is happening a new consciousness is emerging on this planet because it's time evolutionary wheels have turned sufficiently we are now ready spiritually grown up enough as a species to accept our power and to be able to utilize the technologies that go hand in hand with being a conscious child of god in a a way that lends itself to ecstatic co-creation rather than the endless destruction that our technologies have brought us so far. So I have, I'm looking at all of these new advancements, nanotechnology, AI, robotics, all of these things that have developed, and I'm looking at them and and realizing that, yes, absolutely, only a fool would not acknowledge how potentially destructive they are. But in the hands of, you know, people have used the analogy of a hammer. You can build a beautiful house with it or you can hit someone over the head with it, you know. And so the, if we put first things first, if we really place what is true and eternally valuable over the short-term comfort of, you know, that, that these devices can offer us and how what a separating influence they are. If we can um, begin to develop, I think it was Einstein said, you know, like it's become appallingly apparent that our our, um, technology has surpassed our humanity. Mm. It doesn't take much of a collective perceptual shift to reverse that and understand that because of our spiritual evolution over these millennia, we now have access to these technologies. How we're going to use them remains to be seen. But I'm putting my money on the force of evolution and I'm trusting that all of this incredible technology that we now have access to has emerged because we are ready. We are finally ready to um, responsibly steward these technologies. Otherwise, we'd still be clinking rocks together. Yeah, I'm feeling a really smooth segue happening right now, man, because I do want to speak about your music. Mm. Um, and so you actually have a new album yeah there's um, an album that um, hasn't officially been released it's it's ready to go I have the physical CDs yeah. and, and we, I've had a lesson so uh-huh, you what, you've had a lesson I said I've had a lesson so I'm already great, great. I'm already up with it great well no Beautiful spoilers um, but this is Inshallah yeah, yeah it's called Inshallah then, yeah. yeah and it's um, it's a three piece uh, world fusion instrumental trio and uh, we've been playing together for, I don't know, I think s- maybe 
six years and we've produced two CDs and uh, the latest one, which I'm really happy with, um, was meant to be launched on the 26th of June, but um, two of our band were unwell at the time and so we thought it prudent to postpone it till springtime so we'll be doing that sometime in spring and it's chrysalis is the chrysalis is the name of it yeah Yeah, and um yeah it um that's something that gives me a lot of joy and i love uh what happens at the performances i really um it's another opportunity to to just add beauty and joy and um to serve people through music and I love the idea of it being instrumental I love songs mm. I've always loved songs but I I've, at this moment I feel very drawn to instrumental pieces because um, they they have a habit of bypassing the the suspicious human intellect you know they well, can I guess the attachment to say concepts like if a lyric has you know a particular way it affects someone then they can become attached to that mm. yeah uh, can you just describe the, even though, look, I think I might try and blend in. I haven't put too much music on the podcast yet, but I think I might blend a bit of Inshallah in so that people can um, mm. uh, hear a little bit. But can you describe the um, instrumentation for us? And, yeah, uh, sure. Um, who's so playing what? And yeah, so um, there's three of us. And um, between the three of us, we play um, uh, some easily recognizable instruments such as um, acoustic classical guitar and silver flute um, and you know your hand drums like uh, you know the clay pot drum which in India is called a um, gatam or in Africa it's called an udu uh, the Arabic drum the darambuka um, uh, jaw harp bamboo flutes shakuhachi didgeridoo handpan um that's more melodic yeah the handpan is a uh, it's a drum but it's a melodic drum it's a bit like an inverted kettle drum yeah um and it looks a little bit like a flying saucer and it's kind of got dimples all over it it's a metallic drum and over the last decade or so a lot of people have started making them now and there's some really great manufacturers um their tone a, has that bell-like quality almost. Yeah. Of a, um, that's for, say, a meditation or, the, or that kind of yep. atmosphere is beautiful. Yeah. yeah, and they can be played quite energetically as well. And so we've embraced, we, we've drawn upon, drawn upon the different musical traditions of the world um, as a means of honouring them rather than imitating them. Just And this know. is why, before I say it, it would be a seamless segue because I wanted to ask you with music and particularly what you're creating, but how would you compare what's considered traditional to then technology mm. and where do you guys mm. go with as in, in, a, in the creative realm? Mm. Yeah, you're not there creating it just to say, well, I want to imagine I was a, you know, a folk person from this part of the world at this certain time. You know, y- mm. you're just playing instruments, mm. but can you talk to me a bit about how you yeah. experience traditional what's considered traditional music or traditional instruments then with sure technology. yeah that's a great question well first of all um uh the youngest of us is in his mid-40s so we kind of grew up during a time that was pre-electronic music mm-hmm. so it was during a time we all grew up listening to people like hendrix and you know um you know, John McLaughlin, Santana, all of these people that, you know, um, 
influence us. And um, uh, both Andy and Josh did a lot of gigs in nightclubs. Um, Andy um, was a rock guitarist at that time in his life and Josh was a, a jazz-trained bass player. Um, and so we've kind of slipped through the net largely as far as the technology goes. We, we're way more comfortable playing our instruments than messing around with recording equipment, particularly mm -hmm. the modern recording equipment. So fortunately, a dear friend of ours just kind of popped into our movie and said, here, I'd love to, um, to work with you guys and help you record. And um, so it was yet another instance of like, just when something was needed, life just went, here you go. You guys mm -hmm. are useless in this area. Here's someone that's savvy and he loves what you're doing. And this is, you know, this beautiful like evolutionary synergy where you take what you can do and what he can do and what she can do. And, you know, whilst what you can do by yourselves is limited, when you bring it all together, something much greater and marvellous is made possible and uh, it's the synergistic combination of these different elements that but at the heart of it is love and the reason why I think there's such a beautiful key feeling tone at the performances is that the three of us have a deep love and respect for each other as human beings and that you know that is is what drives the music as far as I can tell it, it um it's it's born out of love it's love in action and it's it's audible love as far it's, as it's I'm beautiful concerned. like it's and um say so a lot of it or certain sections has a has that unified calming kind of like flowing um yeah in the old traditional kind of music with those particular instruments in that kind of way but then I also enjoy when it does go into the jazzy fusion sort of mm. sections. That's really mm. funky and like got a um, exploration kind of vibe. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. And we've been really lucky, like Emma, the violinist um, that played on that second CD. We've been really lucky to, to draw, you know, great people to come and help us out and um, been really blessed and, yeah, I'm I'm really grateful for the opportunity to to um, to play with those guys and and to create music and and the idea that you know you can put something on Bandcamp and someone in Sweden will stumble across it or you know or um, Spotify or whatever other platforms and I I love that idea and it to me it's pointing to you know that that um, <coughs> irreversible like realization of interconnectedness of how you know like we are a global community and mm. this whole COVID thing has has really you know like all of the the measures that have been introduced in uh, um, are the same all over the world pretty much mm. you know like our governments are handling it in the same way and I mean you know that's that that could either be a conspiracy theorist's wet dream or yet another evolutionary um, marker suggesting that we have evolved into this this uh, understanding of the singularity of human consciousness. Sure. Our so, differences yeah. and our samenesses are all actually quite there to behold. 
yeah or same same but different yes <laughs> totally just back to um music quickly because mm. i was going to say um belying your awesome old schoolness by continually saying cd which it's cool that they exist mm. and people should try and buy one mm. the physical copy from you mm. what, what are some like links or so you said yeah, Bandcamp? Sure. So is it just sure it's just forward so, slash so in charlotte soon, soon um We'll oh, do you have one yet? Or you don't? If you don't, we can just post links later. Yeah, um, can you can find if anyone's interested. If if you like what Lucas plays, you can go to um, Bandcamp. I haven't put the new CD up yet because I I wanted to wait until we'd done the CD launch um, before we put but it just, up. But, but do you have links that are just active now? Because yes, we yeah. do. So yeah, if so. you anyone um, goes on Bandcamp. Uh, or YouTube because we made a really nice video. If you yeah, if nice. if you click on um, uh, if you Google uh, Inshallah Dunes as in sand dunes I N S H A L L A H and and Dunes that'll take you. That's one of the tracks on the first CD. That'll take you to the first CD. And we've got a few little tracks from the new CD on Bandcamp, but soon um, we'll have them all on Spotify. There's a YouTube channel called Andy um, that there's a few live clips of us playing at different performances. And there's a Facebook page, which I don't know anything about um, <laughs> because I'm a complete and utter technotard, unashamedly and unapologetically I slip through the net. So I'm really grateful that my partner is on social media and... Um, and that, yeah, as I said... Don't I've worry, don't you need to be ashamed. But uh, people, they'll find it, Marty, they'll find they it. They will, they will. But yeah, and then uh, I, if, yeah, as long as it's with your approval, there might be a little sneak of the newer Oh, you, you can play whatever you want. Yeah, we, just, we, I think we, over that cool intro that we had where it's just going to mm, be basically a fade-in, mm, there's some in-shower and you talking. And yeah, that, great. I think that's going to have the vibe of this episode, great. man. And so on that note, mm. shall we wrap it up mm, great thank you so an much absolute pleasure man thank mm. you for just sharing your being and also your ideas because there's some practical and fundamentally needed presence that you're yeah sharing with us and I'm, tr I'm trying to put into practice as well so thanks so much man thank you until next time see you bro Oh.